tonight I, I want to talk about um, I want to talk about ten symptoms that you are raised from the dead with Jesus. How many of you know that we are hidden in Christ? And that Jesus didn't just die for us, he died as us. When he died on the cross, how many of you know that you were with him on that cross and you, you died with Christ? It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And so I want to talk a little bit tonight about the symptoms, the manifestations, if you will, that you've been raised with Christ. Ten manifestations that you've been raised with Christ. And there's supposed to be a little timer and it says all zeros, so I don't know who works that thing, but if you could make it do something, that would be awesome. So I don't preach the eternal gospel. I have total lose time, lose track of time. So why don't you turn to John chapter 20 and this will be, um, hopefully this will be fun. John chapter 20, verse 1. Are you there? You guys, John, John chapter 20. Not my fault. You're not there. John chapter 20, verse 1. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone had already been rolled away from the tomb. And she ran and came to Peter, Simon Peter, and the other disciple whom Jesus loved. Did you notice that this is the only, the only account that Jesus loved a particular disciple is in the book of John? And it's about John. <laughs> and the other three the other three Gospels do not call John the disciple whom Jesus loved. They call him John. So she, uh, she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb, and they were both running together, and the other disciple ran faster than Peter, which is very important for you to know for some reason. That the disciple who said that all the miracles, if all the miracles that Jesus did were written down, the books couldn't contain them. And John wanted you to know that this was one thing that needed to go in there, that John got there first. I have no idea why that was important. But John got there first. And, um, and let's see, verse 5. And stooping in, they looked, they looked in and saw the linen wrapping lying there. But he, but he did not go in. And Simon also came and following him, entered the tomb and saw the linen wrapping lying there and the, and the face cloth, which had been on his, on his head, not lying, on, not lying with the linen wrapping, but rolled up in a place by itself. And I, I want to tell you the first two things about being, being raised with the dead with Christ is that you have an empty tomb. How many of you understand that you live with an empty tomb. Are you with me? That there are no skeletons in your tomb. Because when you received Jesus Christ and you were baptized, how many know that you were baptized in His death and in His resurrection? And when they go to your tomb, there is no skeleton in your tomb because Jesus forgave your sin and transformed your life. And there is no, there is an empty tomb. When they look into your past, all they see is an empty tomb. Ain't nobody there. You've risen. <laughs> That's a good word. And the second thing is, is that it says that they saw the grave clothes there. How many of you understand that when you left the tomb, you got new clothes? I want to read you a verse. In, uh, it's in Romans chapter 13. It says, um, it says this. 
something powerful, but I've chosen the wrong verse. The night is almost gone. The day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as it is in the day, not as carousing drunkenness and sexual promiscuity and sexuality, not in strife and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. How many of you understand that when you left the tomb, you got new clothes and you put on Christ? Are you with me? That you didn't just leave the tomb, but you left unwrapped, unbound. You are free in Christ. And you put on Christ. When you get up in the morning, you put on Christ. How do I know if, I'm, if I was raised with Christ? I don't have jealousy and strife and contention. And when I have that stuff, I put on the wrong suit. I went to the grave, put on the wrong clothes, and started behaving like I live in the tomb. Are you with me? You know, it's important that when we receive Jesus that we don't hang around the tomb. It was the man at the Gadarenes that lived among the tombs. You, you, you don't live among the tombs anymore. You're, you don't, do you know what I mean by live among the tombs? You think death thoughts. You're always thinking about what could go wrong. I wrote on my Facebook post the other day, which is always enlightening. <laughs> I, I wrote, I used, to, I used to feel, for 45 years I felt misunderstood. Now I realize that the people who hate me the most are the ones who understand me. And actually they just have no tolerance for a God who's too good. For a God who wants to heal everybody, wants everyone to prosper. And I went on like that. That stimulated a few comments. <laughs> and somebody wanted to remind me that for the sake of young believers, that we had to have balance. So God is pretty good. He might heal you. And you can hope you can prosper. Some will and some won't. And I want you to have great faith, though. As you... <laughs> I'm joking. Okay. I was... In Matthew chapter 27, Matthew adds this part to the account of Christ. Uh, verse 50. When Jesus was on the cross, he cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up the spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. And the tombs were opened. I love this part. This is so awesome. This is like a movie. The tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs, <laughs> can you just picture that? You know, you're, you're driving by the graveyard, and people are popping out of the tombs. They're like, wow, what time is it? Oh, wow, where am I? They built a new store down the street. The tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep you guys never saw this verse, did you? you got to read the Bible. And coming out of the tomb... Can you just stop for a minute and I'll finish reading this. And the tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs, after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. <laughs> like night on Elm Street, but it's like Holy Spirit stuff. <laughs> You're going to like this one. Number three, 
one of the manifestations that you rose with Christ is that you have friends who rose too. <laughs> that you have some friends who know God, that you hang out with, that you're not a long ranger, you're, you're not an independent person who lives on an island by yourself watching iBethel TV, God bless your souls, <laughs> and calling that church. But you actually have friends who rose with you that are walking in the city with you and they are encountering and appearing to many. <laughs> I thought that was kind of good. <laughs> Matthew 28, verse 1. That thing says 47 minutes. Is that how much time I've taken already? It's counting down. How much time did you give me? That's awesome. I can go slower. Now, after the Sabbath, (laughs) Matthew 28, verse 1, after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to the grave and behold, there was a severe earthquake had occurred and the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and he sat on it. I don't know why, this sounds so good. Does anyone else like this stuff? The angel comes down and he hits so hard it causes an earthquake, the stone rolls away and the angel's sitting on it. When Mary gets there, like, I did that. I just wanted you to know. That big old earthquake, that wasn't a meteorite, that was me. Whoa! Stone rolled away. Hit just right. That's me. He's not showing off. He's just glorifying. And his appearance. <laughs> and behold. I'm just going to read it one more time. And behold. Oh, look at that. I only went two minutes. And behold. I'm sorry. Where'd it go? And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. And the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came down and rolled away the stone and sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him, because, and they became like dead men. And the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who has been crucified. He is not here. He is risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he's lying. Mm, number four. Um, you know... That you rose with Christ when the angels talk about you. How many think angels talk about you? They're the Hebrews chapter one says. <laughs> some of you are like, I know the demons do. <laughs> Hebrews chapter one says that the angels are servants of those who receive salvation. We definitely know the angels talk to you, right? In uh, chapter 6 of, um, of some book, <laughs> the book of Judges, Gideon is in the wine press, but he's pressing out wheat in the wine press. And the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, mighty man of valor. And he's like, <laughs> say what? Mighty man of valor. Behold, the Lord has given you your enemy into your hand. He's like, oh yeah, well, where's all the miracles? How many of you know that we were born to have angel help? 
How many of you need angel help? How many of you don't need anything? How many of you don't need angelic help because you never do anything that requires something that you can't do? And you wonder why you've never seen any angel help. Maybe you've been praying that, that, singing that song, Angels Watching Over Me. I've been singing that song, Angels Helping Me. I don't want them watching. I want help. John 20, verse 18. And Mary Magdalene came and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. And that he said these things to her. One of the signs that you rose with Christ is that people talk about your stories. How many of you know that your testimonies are the spirit of prophecy? How many of you know that when you're in Christ, they talk about Christ and they talk about your testimonies that are in Christ? I was, I was thinking about Acts chapter 9, verse 27. And it's the story of Saul, who later becomes the Apostle Paul, who writes 13 books of the New Testament. And it says that all of the disciples, all the apostles were afraid of Saul, except for Barnabas. And it says Barnabas took a hold of Saul and he brought Saul to the apostles and he told Barnabas, told the apostles the stories of Saul, how he stood up for Christ, how he argued with the Jews, how he was born again on the on on the road to wherever I get them mixed up, but. How many of you understand that your testimonies, that one of the ways that we know that you're in Christ is that you, that people tell your stories. They tell their stories, but they tell your stories too. They tell, they repeat your stories. And how many of you understand that your testimonies are important to write down because your your testimonies are community property. The intellectual property of your testimonies are actually Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit owns the intellectual properties of your testimony. And your testimony are community properties. And it's the testimony of Jesus that's the spirit of prophecy. They overcame them by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even unto death. So how many of you understand that one of the ways we know we're in Christ is that we have testimonies? And by the way, it's great that you have the testimony you know, long ago when I received Jesus, and if that was a long time ago, that's awesome. But it's important that we have daily testimonies. It's important that my best testimony isn't 15 years ago. It's important that, that, my, that I have testimonies that are ongoing, that I have a life with God that's ongoing. That the further, away, the, the further I get from the tomb, the brighter the light shines in my life. The older I get in God, the greater the testimonies I have. And not the opposite way. Not, you know, not that, you know, boy, when I was young, I really did zealous things for God. How many of you understand we're supposed to grow brighter and brighter to the perfect day? And I'm speaking, I think, to a lot of the, the, you know, the older folks in this room. It's important that the young people or the, the new believers aren't the ones with the best testimonies. And, I, and God bless them. I want them to have great testimonies. I just want us to have testimonies that are generations, you know, from faith to faith, from glory to glory, I want to have testimonies that the testimonies that I had when I began are nothing compared to the testimonies that we have now. We, we, we have to be like Caleb. We have, to, we have to say in ourselves, you know, Caleb said to Joshua when they came into the promised land, he was 80 years old. And, and Joshua said to Caleb, what land do you want? And jo- Caleb said to Joshua, when I was in Kanish Barnea, 
Moses promised me any land that I want. And I'm 80 years old and my strength is today as is as it was in, in at 40 when when Moses promised me the any any land I wanted in Kadesh Barnea. And he said, I'll take the mountain land. I'll take the land of the giants. And I think there's just something about the fact that as we age, our testimonies should get greater, not worse. The, our, our courage should grow. It's not for the young. How many of you on that? How many understand that testimonies aren't for the young? And, and I want to be clear, like, I love to be around young people. I love to be around people that they just experienced God for the first time, or, or maybe they're a year old in God. It's, we need to surround ourselves, those of us that are older, with young people that, are, that it's, everything's new. Do you know what I'm saying? Everything's new. I remember when I, uh, when I was in high school, I was, you know, we're, we were raised pretty poor. And the first time I ever went on a date, ever, was the Sadie Hawkins dance. I don't know if you know what that is. I don't even know if they have them anymore. But it's, it's where the, it's, in high school, it's where the girl asks the guy out. And they, they you know, do some stuff. And, they, and the girl takes you to dinner, and she's supposed to pay and all that. It was kind of, kind of weird. I had never been on a date at all. So, And the craziest thing is, I had never been to a restaurant, ever, in my life. Except for, I should say, there was a burger, it was not a Burger King, it was a A&W down the street from my house. That was my, that was my experience in a restaurant. And so, the night before, I'll never forget this as long as I live, the night before my date, my mom sat me down and she showed me, and I... I figured out, she said, find out where you're going to eat. So I found out it was a steakhouse. And uh, my mom sat me down and she, she set the table with m- multiple, you know, more than one spoon, more than one fork, knives, we, you know, with the, and we always used this, the red rag. <laughs> when I was at home, you know, a mechanic just uh, use a rag, wipe it on your jeans. <laughs> my mom put a napkin there, like, put this on your lap. And I, I remember walking in. I can still remember walking in that steakhouse. Now, this steakhouse was probably like, oh, I don't know. It was probably some, something like, you know, out, out back. I mean, it wasn't like something you wore a tie to. And I walked in there, and it was, I thought it was unbelievable. I'm like, this is amazing. This is how rich people live. I, I mean, every detail, I was like, wow, this place is beautiful. Of course, I had a few issues when I went to sit down. I was so nervous. This doesn't have anything to do with my message, but I've got to tell you a story. I was so nervous. I, I, when I sat down, the, evidently the fork was sitting just a little off the table, and, I put my, and my mom said, don't put your elbows on the table. And I was trying to remember everything she'd said, like in, that, in my little half-hour you know, crash course to this is how you eat. You know, From Don't open your mouth and talk while you have food in your mouth to... Used the napkin and put it. I never could figure out why you put the napkin on, on your, t- whatever. And I sat down. <laughs> I sat down and I hit the fork and it flew up in the air like, this. God's my witness. It flew up in the air and it landed perfectly in the man's plate right behind me. <laughs> I'm dead serious. You couldn't have planted that. But that. If you tried, you couldn't have planted it like that again. And so, stupid me, I didn't know what to do, so she looked at me, and I, and I know she was probably nervous for me. So I turned around, and I said, sir, could I have my knife back, my fork back? And so he looks at me, he's like, 
And then, and so I got my fork back, and when I went to sit down, I hit my knife, and the knife flew out. I'm like, well, we're not starting out very well. It's important that we're with people that came, have come to the steakhouse for the first time. You watch them when they see Jesus do something, a miracle, and they're like, this is amazing. That man had a headache, and we pray, and his headache's gone. And you want to go, well, yeah. And they're like, that's amazing. I've never seen anything like this. And you know what I'm saying? You're on a plane, you're praying for somebody for something really simple where you have the simplest prophetic word. You know, I've learned something. You don't have to be profound to be powerful. And sometimes you, you look at somebody and it's like, it seems pretty obvious that they're whatever, whatever condition. And you're like, you look really sad. And they're like, wow, how did you know that? Well, you were crying? <laughs> Your face is all wrinkled up. Looking. It, it is important that we're around people, joking aside, that we're around people that are experiencing things of the kingdom for the first time. But it's also important for us, for us that have been in the kingdom for a long time that we don't get stuck at one level, that, but that we go from glory to glory and that the empty tomb that we came out of isn't the last testimony we have. <clears throat> John 20, verse 26. And after eight days, Jesus now, he, rose, he rises from the dead. And, um, you know, he's walking the earth. And we can talk about that for another time. And uh, verse 26. After eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. And Jesus came, and the doors having been shut, and Jesus stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. I, I, I love this part. Jesus doesn't use the door. He is the door. And th- this is the number six. How do you know if you... How, what, are, what are some of the symptoms that you rose with Christ? You can get into places that don't have a door. You remember Moses is at the Red Sea and there's nowhere to go. They can't go back because the Egyptians are there. They can't go forward because the Red Sea is there. There is no door. You know, I, I think that we should knock, we should what, seek, and I don't forget, whatever. <laughs> the third one, I'm sorry, whatever those three are, we should do all three of them. Ask, yeah, I know, I was getting there, I was processing. But I think that sometimes we get in a situation where you can't go back and you can't go forward. In fact, if you look up the, um, the situation that David was in, in, it's in 1 Samuel chapter 17, we won't go there, I haven't read it for a while, but it, it, when it talks about where David, I'm sorry, where the Philistines and the Israelites were encamped. If you look up the two Hebrew words, it means they were between a rock and a hard place. They couldn't leave and they didn't want to stay. Have you ever been in a circumstance where you couldn't, you couldn't back up, but you couldn't go forward? And the Lord says to Moses, it's in Exodus chapter 14 if you want to look it up. The Lord says to Moses, Moses, extend your staff. And he extends his staff over the sea. And you know the story. He extends his staff over the sea, and the Red Sea parts. And I, this is a prophetic declaration over you. I've, 
actually added this at first as kind of to be funny. And I felt like the Lord said, no, no, there are people in the room. They can't go forward. They, they've come too far to go back. But they have, but there's no door open for them to go forward. And they feel stuck. And I want to tell you that oftentimes between you and your promised land is no door. And it doesn't matter because you have a staff. And I believe that there are times that you turn back when God says, no, speak to the mountain. There are times when, and some of you are getting, like, I feel this even tonight. I feel like there, I feel like some of you are standing there right now. In fact, why don't we do this? I'm sorry. I, I really feel prompted that we should do this. If you cannot go forward, but the Lord, let me, hear me all the way out. I only want people to stand. You can't go forward, but the Lord has told you that it's on the other side of that sea is your promised land. In other words, you're sure that you're supposed to go forward, but there are obstacles keeping you from it. There's no door open. Would you stand up, please? And those watching by iBethel TV, you can just do the same as a prophetic act. Just stand up. The, the Lord has told you you're to do this, but there is no door. And you need access to a place that has no opening. Good. I, I, I'm just going to pray for you right there. Put your hand on your heart. Lord, I pray for a staff to be given to every single person who's standing. And those who are watching by iBethel TV, I pray for a staff to be given to them. That there would be a scepter in their hand. That they would have authority over the elements. That they would be able, metaphorically speaking, to walk through the walls. To bring their own door. To part Red Sea. And whatever the obstacle is that is keeping them from moving forward. When you told them that their destiny is on the other side of this, of this process. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would open a way and you would make a way where there is no way. That you would take the crooked places and that you would make them straight. The rough places and you would make them smooth. That you would raise up the valleys, lower down the mountains, and they would walk on a smooth path. And they would say by the end of the month that this is the way of the Lord. This is the way of the Lord. And by the way, Bill, uh, I'm, I'm still praying, but I want to tell you this one piece. Bill brought this up many years ago. Moses said, stand and see the salvation of the Lord. That was Moses' response to the circumstance. God said, what are you doing? Moses said, I'm going to stand and see the salvation of the Lord. How many know there are times for you to stand and see the salvation of the Lord? The Lord said, Moses, you got the wrong word in the right season. I didn't tell you to stand. I told you to go forward. And, and that was a great word. I remember many years ago you preached that word. And so, Lord, I, okay, so let me finish. So, Lord, I pray right now that they wouldn't stand and see your salvation this time, that they would move forward. Everybody who's standing up, they would move forward. They would, there would be some kind of act. And I, I want to tell you, this is just coming to me, I think, prophetically. There's some kind of act you're supposed to do. It may be something simple. It may be that you need money, and maybe you need to give away $5. It's not the amount of money. Are you with me? Maybe you need to give the little boys lunch. Maybe it's, um, maybe it's um, whatever. I, I'm just, I don't even want to say there's so many things coming to my mind right now. It's like maybe you just need to give a little bit of something to somebody. Maybe just a little extend hand to somebody, something. But whatever it is, I feel like the Holy Spirit is going to give you 
a word of wisdom, a word of wisdom on what to do to seed the clouds so you get the rain. And so, Lord, we pray for that. We're going to pray that right now. Lord, we pray, Holy Spirit, give them wisdom. Let them know what they need to do so that their opportunity opens as you promised in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. 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 John chapter 20, we're still talking about the resurrection. What are some of the manifestations that you've been raised with Christ? Verse 27, then he, speaking of Jesus, said to Thomas, oh, I need to tell you this part. Thomas, eight days before Jesus um, appears to some of the disciples, but Thomas isn't there. And they tell Thomas, man, the Lord was here. And he said, I'm I'm not going to believe that. I'm not going to believe he came unless I put my hand in his in his hands and my finger in his side. And so Jesus, of course, walks through the door, as we just said, without through the wall. And he says to Thomas, reach here your finger and see my hands and reach here your hand and put it in my side and do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered, said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, because you've seen, have you believed? Blessed are those who did not see, yet have believed. Um, I, this part really speaks to me. One of the manifestations that we've rose with Christ, that we, that we live a resurrected life, is we help people who don't believe to believe. And I said this a, uh, a couple of months ago. I don't personally, uh, I don't know if this is a great theological statement, but I personally don't want people to be convicted of sin without being convinced of a Savior. I was thinking of a particular person who I'm very, very close to, and I was thinking about the guilt that he lives under. And every time we talk, it's hard to get past all this guilt because he, he is an agnostic. And I'm like, the reason why you can't look at your sin is because you don't believe in a Savior So you have a problem with no solution. But the only way you can get out of your problem is to let go of your sin, and you can't let go of it until you confess it, and you you won't confess it until you know there's a... I'm not going to tell you what I've done wrong until I know there's a solution. And I think there are just times, and I'm thinking about my my friend, but I think there are times that people are... They get convicted of sin, but they still don't believe. They're not convinced of a Savior. And I think this is a big piece of what we bring to people. We, we patiently work with people who don't believe instead of flush them as atheist, agnostic. How many of you understand Jesus didn't give them that, name, that title? I refuse to relate to somebody by an alias name that Jesus did not give them. So someone's like, well, that person's a, and because we're streaming, I don't want to use names, but that person's a such and such. And in other words, they're off limits because of a title that they put themselves under. I'm like, Jesus didn't give them that title. They gave themselves that title. And it's amazing what happens when you relate to people as if they believe, even when they don't. I was sitting next to a man who was definitely in, in the occult. This is on a plane. This is about three or four years ago. I was sitting next to this man, and he was a leader of this, this, this uh, cultic religion. And um, he was talking to me. And I, I turned to him and I said, um, you know, uh, 
you've went through a divorce and you blame yourself and Jesus is totally forgiven you. And, and he goes, oh, you're a Christian. I said, I'm a follower of Jesus. And he's all, oh. And so, and I said, you have two children who you long to see, but your, your, um, your ex-wife won't let you. And I, and I start talking to him and I said, you know, you're an amazing person. By the end of that plane flight, I was, and I, I just talked to him as if he was a believer. A, no, as if he was a follower of Jesus. Because in his, you know, in all of the gods he followed, Jesus was in there. And he told me that. He said, well, I follow so, such and such, and, you know, we believe in this and this and this and this. And I'm like, oh, Jesus is in there. There's a statue to the unknown God right there. Well, there's a place to connect. And about an hour and a half into the flight, he goes, oh, because he, he acted like he didn't. And I'm telling him all this stuff, and he's acting like he, well, of course you know that. And so about an hour and a half in the flight, he turns to me and he goes, how, how do you actually know all this stuff? I said, the, no, Jesus you follow, he knows all this stuff about people. He goes, yeah, I know that Jesus we follow. He has Jesus we follow. He knows this stuff. I'm like, yeah, he knows this stuff. And so we started talking about Jesus. And, uh, you know, and when I got off the plane, I said, can I, can I pray for your, your daughters? He had two daughters that... They were in strain. I said, can I, can I pray for you and your two daughters to reconcile? He goes, I would so appreciate that. So I prayed for him. Tears coming down his eyes. Got off the plane. Gave me a hug. What, what am I saying? I'm saying that we help people who don't believe to believe. It's part of the resurrection story. It's part of us being hidden in Christ. It's part of us, if you will... It's part of us saying to Thomas, put your hands right here. Listen, put your hands, but don't get too weird. I was not crucified for you. Jesus was. So do you understand? I'm part of the body of Christ, so I'm using this as a metaphor. Put your hands into my experience. Look, I know you don't have your own yet. I know you weren't here when he showed up. Put your hands in my experience and see if you believe. Sometimes we get stuck arguing philosophical and theological ideas with people, and it just works a lot better to go, see right here? Put your hand right here. Number eight, I don't have three, three more. Number eight, demons are mad that you're alive. How do you know if you're actually in Christ? Demons are mad that you're alive. Colossians 2.15, when Jesus, it says, when he, when Jesus, had displayed the rulers and authorities, he made, I'm sorry, when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. You know, in Acts 19, Paul, they were taking handkerchiefs and aprons from Paul's body and they were laying him on the sick, and the sick were getting healed, which for some reason, I don't have so hard of a time picturing that. But the second part is shocking to me. And it says they put handkerchiefs on people, so they would take a handkerchief from Paul, and you can imagine that was probably was being done because Paul wasn't present. So they take a handkerchief from Paul, as we do here, we often pray over prayer cloths, and they take him to another city, and they lay, they lay the handkerchief on a man, who's demonized, or on a woman who's demonized. And when the handkerchief falls on the person, 
the demon leaves. Is, would that be a cool ministry? I'm just like, huh? I just think that would be so much easier than Sozo. I just put Sozo on the tankies and send them out. You know, it's like demons like, ah! Chris's hanky! I'm like, oh, look what I did. You know, um, anyway, that was a joke. Wouldn't it be awesome if you were feared in hell? Wouldn't it be awesome that you were so known in hell that your hankies dispersed demons? You know, Acts 19, the next verse says, And there were seven sons of Sceva trying to exercise demons from a person. And the, the demonized person says, and, the, and the, oh, the person who was, the seven sons of Sceva were saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. To come out. And the demon, you know, says, I know Jesus. I recognize Paul. (laughs) It's you I'm having a struggle with. (laughs) One of the signs that you rose with Christ is that demons are sorry you are alive. And when you walk into a room, they're like, you know, we better be quiet or leave. We better behave. And sometimes they like scurry out like little rats. I should tell you some stories, but I won't. How am I doing? I'm going to finish on time. John chapter 21, verse 4. This is, this is, again, Jesus. This is the resurrection. He's already visited Thomas and the boys a couple of times. He's walked the earth for 40 days. And he ends up on the beach. And... Um, uh, it says, but when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered and said, no. And he said to them, cast your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find a catch. And they cast, and then they were unable to haul it in because of the great number of fish. I actually love, I think it's Luke, Luke's account. Peter doesn't know it's the Lord. And he says, we've been fishing all night. In other words, um, we've actually tried both sides of the boat. How many of you know that if you're a fisherman, you know, Peter, James, and John were fishermen. How many of you know that if you fished all night, you probably tried both sides of the boat? I mean, I'm not trying to be deep. Unless that's where the fish are, but... That's kind of cute, though, wouldn't it? And so, in, I think it's in Luke's account, he says, have you caught anything? And they said, no. He said, well, put your net on the right side of the boat. And Peter says, we've been fishing all night. The connotation is, we've already tried the other side of the boat. How many know sometimes it's not new actions, it's just renewed actions? But actually, I have a different point to make, and I'll make it in just a minute. And they cast their net... And we're not able to haul in the great amount of fish. Verse 7, therefore the disciples whom Jesus loved said, <laughs> I don't know why this bothers me. Therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment. For he was stripped for work. Now I don't know, if you're going to swim, you typically don't put things on. You typically take things anyway. And he threw himself into the sea. 
But the other disciple came in a little boat, and they were not far off the land, um, about a hundred yards away, dragging the full net of fish. And when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid, and fish placed on it, and bread. And Jesus said, bring some of your fish, which you have caught now. Now, I don't know why Jesus wasn't sharing, because <laughs> he already had fish, as it may be. Did you notice that? Jesus has fish, but he's like, I, these are mine. Bring some of your fish. And Simon went on. Uh, where is it? I'm sorry. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land full of large fish, 153. All of there were so many, and the net was not torn. I, the point I wanted to make here is one of the signs that you are living a resurrected life, is that you do not eat sushi. (laughs) Jesus cooked his fish. And the last point I will make (laughs) is in Acts chapter 1, right before Jesus, right after Jesus went up. When they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olivet, they were near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they entered the city, they were, they, that was my point, by the way. You're waiting for a different one. That was number nine. Real believers do not eat sushi. Because Jesus didn't. And when... <laughs> And all of you that don't understand the sarcastic sense of humor are offended. (laughs) Which I do not care about because of this next point I'm about to make, and it is the final point. And when they entered the city, they went up to the upper room, and they were staying there. That is Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These, all with one mind, were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. At this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren, a gathering about 120 persons was there. And the last sign, one of the that I have tonight, that you are in Christ, that you rose with Christ, is that you get along with people you didn't like before. They were one mind. That's why I offended you before I did this, just to see... I figured out that was the word of wisdom. I did the sushi thing. Then I was trying to see if sushi was more important than our relationship. (laughs) And these guys who argued the entire time, they walked with Jesus. And we know that, right? They are constantly, who's the greatest? And John just finished his, I don't know, maybe John wrote his gospel I don't, no, he didn't, but anyway, that was bad theology, but it was several years before John realized he maybe wasn't the only one who was beloved, but my opinion. But the sign, one sign that you are in Christ and living a resurrected life is that you get along with people you didn't like before. That you love people. 
We've been hearing stories about a prison, and I'm sorry, I don't remember the details. But Banning came back from a prison, and he was telling us about the revival happening in this prison. And when he was talking about, one of, one of, he said lots of stuff to us about miracles that were happening, and things that were happening in the lives. So it was a um, male prison. But he was talking about how the inmates and the prison guards had reconciled. That's amazing. And I think there's something about the love of Jesus that transcends. I mean, to me, it's such a miracle. It even transcends political parties. Yeah. I mean, you can love someone who's a Republican if you're a Democrat. Got so quiet. So sorry. Well, let me try it this way. You can love... A Democrat, if you're a Republican, that got worse. Okay. <laughs> you can just become an independent, so you can love them and not care what party they're in. <clears throat> but on a serious note, I believe that the greatest sign that you're in Christ is that you love people. I've told this story probably five times in the last three years, but it had such a huge impact on me um, practically. One day, Dan Fairley and I were talking in my office. We were talking about something else, really. And I was talking, actually, about somebody I was really frustrated with, and I, I can't even remember the whole conversation. But Dan said to me, as a response to something we were talking about, he said, I've never met anyone I don't like. I said, you've never met anyone you don't like? And he sits back in his chair as if to making sure that he's telling me the truth. And he goes, not that I can ever think of. And I totally forgot about what we were talking about. And I go, you mean to tell me? <laughs> I said, Are you Jesus? You've never met someone you didn't like? He said, not I can remember. I'm like, I've never met anyone I didn't like today. <laughs> well, actually, that's a lie. No, I'm kidding. No, I, I like most of you pretty well. I was just thinking about a couple of Facebook posts I had, but I... Because it's Easter, I didn't even ban him. I'm like extending love till tomorrow to them. Would you stand? I want to pray for you all. I'm going to give you the love of Dan. That is in Christ. Thank you, Lord. Father, we just, we just thank you so much for what you've done in us and through us. And, and definitely we're a work in process, but Lord... We, we pray in the name of Jesus that we would have, that our tomb would be empty. That we wouldn't have junk in our lives, skeletons in the closet, things that, that stayed in darkness. But God, 
that you would just take our lives and that and we would be able to be like the person who didn't look back, that we'd forget what lies behind. We'd press forward to the upward call of God that's in Christ Jesus. And we take hold of that which we were take hold of for and that we would that we would walk in the high call of God in our lives and that nothing would hinder us and that we would take off the grave clothes and that we wouldn't walk in, in jealousy and envy and strife and, and, and any of those things. Those those are the wrong clothes, those belong at the tomb. And, and, and we've, we rose with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in us. You know, we, I just pray for your love to, to penetrate, so penetrate our hearts that the circumstances and the people around us, no matter where they touch us, where they come in contact with us, that they would find Jesus there. They would find Jesus there. And we would be able to say, as Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you don't believe me on account of my words, believe me on account of my works. And I'd add this to that line, believe me on account of the love I have for you. And Lord, I, I truly, I, do, I thank you for people like Dan. I thank you for people that, that have transcendent love, that they love people. God, let us love people in spite of their behavior in spite of their convictions. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen.